The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. I wonder if anyone can remember what happened on this date last year. No jokes, it's actually a very sad date. I'm, I know that you'll remember once I tell you. And that is on the 29th of April 2015, Andrew Chan and Marilyn Sukumaran uh, were executed in Indonesia. Uh, huge division of opinion about that. Uh, some people said, well, it's justice that needs to happen because, I mean, they, were, they had pleaded guilty. Many other people said it's too harsh, they're just young men, sure they were guilty, but the punishment's over the top. And no matter who you were or where you were, there's nobody that says that was a good day. Nobody. And here's a strange thing, I don't know whether you've ever considered this, but next week our whole nation will stop and take a public holiday. Whatever you believe about Christianity, people are happy to take public holidays. We'll take a public holiday on the Friday, and we talk, we call Friday the next week Good Friday. And yet it's remembering the execution of another young man who I think pretty much everyone agrees was innocent and yet executed. How do you get from um, the execution of a young man to it being Good Friday? That's what I wanted to talk to you about today. And so um, you'll see in your outline there are uh, two main topics to talk about. Uh, as I tried to prepare this talk yesterday, I went to my library and pulled out every book that I had on, on Easter or the death of Jesus and put them one on top of the other, a thousand pages. And I had read some of them. I thought, how do you turn a thousand pages, 20 minutes? Did it really happen and what does it mean? Okay, that's, that's what I've come up with. Did it really happen and what does it mean? And I'll probably spend most of the time on what does it mean because very few people doubt that Jesus was crucified. Uh, how do we know that? Well, let's go to the did it really happen. Even outside of the New Testament, and the New Testament is very strong witnesses uh, uh, to Jesus, multiple attestations of things, but even outside of that, Tacitus, for example, was a Roman historian. Tacitus lived from the, about 56 AD or 117 AD. As he wrote uh, this quote that's coming up, is from um, part of his annals of Imperial Rome called Nero uh, and the Burning of Rome. And uh, as he writes this, it's about time-wise, about the equivalent, say, of us writing about the Second World War now. And look at what he says about, uh, well, look at what he says happened around the time of the Great Fire in Rome, which about the year 64. For a rumour had spread that while the city was burning, Nero had gone to his private stage and, comparing modern calamities with ancient, had sung of the destruction of Troy. The next time someone tells you Nero fiddled while Rome burned, not true. He sang songs. Okay? Um, for people believed that Nero was ambitious to found a new city called after himself. So what did Nero do that people suspected he'd set the fire himself? To suppress this rumour, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians, as they were popularly called. Their originated Christ had been executed in Tiberius, that's the emperor, Tiberius reign, by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. 
And just a quick, you, you, you notice there, okay, talk, Paul's, talks about the Christ executed and gives the, the approximate dates when Tiberius was emperor and then executed by Pontius Pilate. And we've dug up monuments, or they've dug up monuments to Pontius Pilate around Caesarea, etc. What's interesting about this is not just that he says Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, but that in the year 64, just 30 years after that, there's enough Christians in Rome uh, for them to be scapegoated for the fire. Christianity exploded over the ancient world. I don't think about why. Uh, he keeps going, but in spite of this temporary setback, the deadly superstition, being Christianity, uh, the deadly superstition had broken out afresh, not only in Judea, where the mischief had started, but even in Rome. All degraded and shameful practices collect and flourish in the capital, and on and on he goes. And he lists about Nero having them burned alive and, and torn apart by animals and terrible things he did to the Christians. So Tacitus tells us about this. Um, there's writings in the Talmud, the, uh, the, sorry, the Jewish writings that, that are kind of codified after the destruction of Jerusalem. Talks about Jesus being hanged, as in hanged on a tree, hanged on Passover Eve. Uh, the New Testament uh, says so there's no one really who's in the that I'm aware of who's an historian who doubts Jesus died on the cross crucified by Pontius Pilate we come to the second part though what does it mean because you can see you can see a particular event and not necessarily understand the implications of it or what's actually going on I'll give you a trivial example I've always wanted to own a phone booth now, for you younger guys, you don't, probably don't know what home booth is like a, a little room on a corner with glass walls and you would step into it, not to change into your Superman gear, but uh, to make a phone call in the olden days, okay, for mobiles. Always wanted to own one. So years ago, there's a young guy in the block of flats we were living in, worked as a carpenter, the telecoms was called there. And I got talking to him about this and he said, mate, we're, um, we're going to stack them out of home books. We're replacing them. In fact, what we do is we just put a forklift under them, rip them out of the ground, literally, and they're out there. So if you want to come out and get one, I'll give you one. Well, great. So I've hooked up the box trailer. Uh, maybe I borrow a box trailer from someone. I drive out there. They literally pick this thing up. It's like wires hanging out of the bottom of it. The, the, um, the, the stand's been pulled out of the concrete. There's dirt and stuff on it. The phone is still in it. Like, it's still got everything in there except the customer. They... We put it on the, on the box trailer, I put a rope around it, and I'm driving home. Wires hanging out of the back of it, and I'm following the traffic lights, and this guy drives up in the car beside me and goes, leans into it, mate, you'll never get away with it, and drives off. <laughs> now, he didn't understand, he just saw the event, he didn't really know what was going on. Uh, someone asked me this morning, about Phone booth is in a storeroom. I haven't got room for them in a storeroom, and my kids are already jockeying for who gets it when, when I depart this earth. And where was I? Ah, yes. You can see an event, but not necessarily understand what it means or its significance. So let's have a look. Whatever you think about Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus was a first century Jewish man who had been brought up, living, being, breathing the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the canvas on which the story of Jesus is painted. And the Old Testament un- explains to you who Jesus is, what he's come to do, why it really matters. Now, there's a, a thousand things to say about that, but let me just show you two things particularly. The first thing to understand that's very relevant in terms of the death of Jesus is 
what uh, we might call the Passover. Right? Now the Passover, very quickly, uh, you want to read about it, it's in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. You've got about 1400 BC and the family of Jacob, also known as Israel, over hundreds of years in Egypt have turned into a huge nation. They're enslaved to the Egyptians. God sends the great prophet Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, you're dreaming, they're my workforce to build things. And, and so Exodus becomes a kind of an arm wrestle between the God of the Bible and Pharaoh. He kind of work out who's going to win. God sends nine plagues on Egypt to break their resolve, and yet the tenth plague is the most terrible of all. The tenth plague is this, that God will take the life of every firstborn son in every family. It's terrible punishment. The one way that the people of Israel who live in the land could keep themselves safe from the angel of death, as it's described, is this. They would take a lamb from their flock, a, a, a perfect little one-year-old lamb, to take it the first day of the month and keep it for 14 days. Now, later on in the question time, I can explain why the date of Easter moves. It's because the Passover moved according to the moon, but we'll keep going. What they would do on the 14th day of the month on the full moon is to kill the lamb and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lintel of their house. And they would stay in the house that night. And what God said, Exodus chapter 12, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, which is why it's called the Passover, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so the lamb died, and it's the lamb's blood. And in the Old Testament, the blood of something is really a seal for life. The lamb's blood keeps those in the house safe. They also ate the lamb and they were ready to leave the next morning. It's a great story. Text you might like to read. So the, the lamb dies. The blood of the lamb saves, rescues. The Bible gives the word redeemed, buys out those people, keeps them safe. It's interesting that Jesus very deliberately organises his travel to end up in Jerusalem at the Passover time. Jesus dies at the time of the Passover. So that's the first one. The second one is the, the sacrificial system in the law of Moses. What does that mean? God takes them out of the, the Exodus, in the Exodus, out of, out of Egypt, and brings them to the land of Israel, the, the promised land. As people live in the presence of God, God knows they'll do the wrong thing. They'll break his laws, they'll be disobedient. God the judge says that wrong must be punished. People do the wrong thing, there's definitely a penalty. God provided a way for them to be um, forgiven, for him to be able to forgive them. Here's a, it's a, a system of sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. You'll notice um, on your outline there, if you want to open it up, I put the parts of the Bible that you could read. The book of Leviticus is complicated. It's meant to make people feel it's a hard thing to come into the presence of God. But essentially, what will they able to do is this. You've done the wrong thing, you're guilty, you deserve to be punished. You were to go out to your, your farm and either choose a bull, a goat, or a lamb, depending a little bit on how wealthy you were, and to bring the animal with you to the temple where God had promised to be in the Old Testament. And here's what they were to do. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. 
the man or woman's guilty, they bring the innocent animal with them before God. They put their hand on the head of the animal. As far as I can work out, it's the idea of identifying with this innocent one. Somehow the guilt is transferred. And the animal's then killed. It's blood or it's life is poured out. And that's the teaching that guilt matters. Guilt means death. But someone else can carry that guilt. Yeah, that, that's the whole point. The beautiful little um, visual aid, I guess. But it also shows you death and mess and costs and when the wrong thing is done. Now, thousands of times over 1,300 years, those sacrifices happened again and again and again. And those people who did that were trusting God were forgiven. But here's, here's the strange thing. In the New Testament, what the Hebrews tells us, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. No one was forgiven because a lamb or a bull or a goat died for them. They were forgiven because all of those sacrifices looked forward to the one sacrifice that really, really worked. And that is the sacrifice of the one who's called, you may have heard, the Lamb of God, which happened at Easter time. Now there's two really important things. You've got Jesus deliberately getting to the Jerusalem at Passover time. Jesus being called the Lamb of God. Uh, so I thought we might look at Jesus' own words. I don't know if you've read, it, if you've read a gospel, they're, they're very different to other biographies. That is, the gospels focus on the last week and then the last hours of Jesus' life. A huge percentage, maybe a third of, the gospel, of each gospel writer, is about his last week and his last hours. Jesus walks, in Luke's gospel, Jesus walks for 10 chapters, deliberately aiming to arrive in Jerusalem exactly at Passover time. One other strange thing. Jesus leaves behind only two, uh, what's I call it, ceremonies. The theologians say sacrament, which means signs. Two, two sacraments or signs. One, baptism, the sign of spiritual washing. And the other one he leaves behind. You know, I, wonder, I don't know if these screens may have gone on here, but see, can you think, what's the other event, ritual, meal that Jesus leaves behind? The Lord's Supper. Okay. And what's that all about? The Lord's Supper is remembering his death. Okay. In fact, he takes the Passover and he says it used to be about the lamb dying to keep people safe out of Egypt. Now it's actually about me and my body broken and my blood poured out. So Jesus' death is kind of, if you like, crucial, forgive the pun, crucial to his mission. Let's have a look at what he says. Um, in your program is a part of the Bible and Jesus' own words. So uh, in Mark chapter 10, James and John have just come to ask Jesus, well, actually it's not just James and John, Matthew tells us they're Marmbridge, which is a nice little angle. James and John have just come and asked Jesus, can they have the best jobs in his kingdom when he becomes king? And he says, you don't know what you're asking but then the others get their nose out of the joint. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So in the Gentile world, people use their authority for themselves. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You want to be great in Jesus' kingdom? Terrific. You be a servant or a slave of other people. Why? Or 
what's the ultimate example of that? See verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve out and give his life as a ransom for men. Give his life as a ransom for men. Now that's what Jesus understands. His life, people say, oh, it was a real, it was a great example to us. Yes. Uh, he was a victim of injustice. Yes. But Jesus fundamentally understands his life as a ransom. And when you use the word ransom today, what do, um, what do we think of? What's the context? Well, it's, you know, someone, some wealthy person's kid gets grabbed and there's a ransom note to give X amount or you don't get, you know, the free cap or it's the, the theme that's launched a thousand movies. Very close um, in the way the Bible uses the term. Let me show you what Leon Morris, um, great biblical scholar. Unfortunately, he's dead now, but... Uh, the books he writes are gold. And he writes about that word that Jesus says, give his life as a ransom for many. Here it is. He says, it's plain that the word was one in common use and that its connection with the release from captivity was well known. When anybody heard the Greek word lutron, which is the word Jesus used, ransom, in the first century, it was natural for him or her to think of the purchase money for manumitting slaves. Now, unless you feel like you want to learn anything today, does anyone know what manumitting means? <laughs> yeah, I'd look it up too. It means releasing slaves. It's a really cool word. And the idea is, we can say in the first century, when, when you talked about lutron or ransom, the idea of you would save up a whole lot of money and pay set someone free out of slavery. And that's how Jesus understands his death, that he's come to give his life to ransom us or to set us free from slavery. He doesn't mean physical slavery, he means a spiritual slavery. And it's it's quite difficult to hear. What, What Jesus teaches again and again is, by nature, by just who we are, he says we're slaves to sin. What does he mean? He means that we naturally disobey God. We naturally separated from God. We we can't choose to turn around and come back. We can't earn forgiveness with with slaves. And he's saying that he will give his life, give his pay the penalty, so that we can be forgiven. See, at the heart of at the heart of the, the Christian message is a. a I say it carefully. It's kind of a problem that God has. And that's this, that, that God is just, that God cares how we live, that God cares how we treat other people, that God will hold us accountable, God cares about justice and truth. At the same time, God wants to be compassionate and, that, and to forgive and to wipe the slate clean. Well, how can you say that right and wrong really matter and that wrong should be punished, but also have compassion and forgive and wipe the slate clean? The answer is that God and the person of Jesus pays that price, that justice has been done, and so God is able to keep his laws and his standards and yet still be merciful. And so, what is the price that Jesus pays? Well, uh, the Apostle Peter, um, one of Jesus' followers, one of the key leaders, says this, as he writes to Christian people, people who follow Jesus. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Notice um, 
Uh, the redeemed word, that's the verbal form of what Jesus said about ransom. The same, same word, just translating verb and a noun. Um, from the empty way of life handed down to you. In other words, what, what was the cost of paying a price to, um, what was that word, manumit you out of slavery? What, what was the price? Well, not silver and gold, but, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, all of a sudden, the lamb without blemish, it makes sense, doesn't it? When you're, oh, I get it, I get it. 1,300 years of sacrifices, head on guilt, the lamb. Jesus dies as our lamb to take our guilt so that we can be forgiven. And it doesn't just finish there with Jesus dying on that Friday. The good news is the reason that we've heard about him, the reason that he and his followers have changed the world is that he rose again from the dead on that Sunday morning and changed everything, transformed them and a billion other people. Um, now, the New Testament talks about, well, I don't know, I don't use the word reset, but it does say if we'll trust that Jesus died in our place, we don't have to earn it. We'll just accept that and trust him, then you'll be forgiven. You have a reset, a whole new start with God. The promise of forgiveness, of knowing him, the promise of eternal life. You think, well, that, that would be a no-brainer. What a, what a great offer. How could anyone how could anyone say no to that? Well, I'll tell you an interesting little story that I found. Um, in the annals of the US Supreme Court, there's an interesting case, 1833, United States versus George Wilson. You can, uh, if you take a note, United States George Wilson, you find it in the Supreme Court archives or on um, Wikipedia. Okay. Um, George Wilson was found guilty of robbing a mail train and uh, of murder and was sentenced to death. Now, for some reason, Andrew Jackson, the president of the USA, uh, uh, gave him a pardon. I don't know why he got the pardon, that's not quite the, uh, the relevant point. But Wilson refused to accept it. In fact, one source I read said that he tore it up and threw it away. He wouldn't, wouldn't accept the pardon. And then the reason that it went to the, the, the Supreme Court had to rule, and that's the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, room in Pennsylvania, uh, had to rule whether or not what to do with Wilson when he rejected the pardon. And here's what they ruled. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without the acceptance of it. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we've discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. Therefore, Wilson was hanged. What a strange story. There's the offer of a pardon and yet Wilson said, now why did he say no? Maybe he was too proud. Maybe he just wanted to flip the middle finger to the authorities. Maybe he felt like he was too evil to deserve it. Who knows? But he, the pardon was right there. And he wouldn't accept it. And I guess, I guess with the, the offer of forgiveness, of starting again with God, it takes... The message of Easter is a, is a quite in-face message. It's a message that says we need to accept that, that we are slaves. That we, that we, we ask that the wrong things that we do, that we do need to be forgiven, that we need to be changed, that we need to accept Jesus as our friend, but also our ruler. We need to humble ourselves and come back. That's 
He offers us forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. Uh, all we need to do is like, be humble enough to accept that. Probably should go with some of those questions. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Al. Um, question that we've got through, how does servant of all look like in today's time? So Jesus said you must be the slave of all in yep. the, the passage you quoted. What does that look like now? Is it conditional or is there some sort of condition attached to it? Uh, another big question. Uh, what does it mean to be servant of all? I think Jesus is calling his people to live with humility. And humility means it's not all about me. I will put your needs ahead of mine. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's... We're naturally selfish. I think that's... Anyone who's ever had little kids will know that that's absolutely true. We, we are naturally... The default setting is selfishness. And Jesus says, we're going to follow him. That needs to change and he will help us change it so that we'll actually be concerned to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as being a doormat or being pushed around or being weak. Okay? To be loving means... Well, put another way, use the words of Jesus, to treat others the way we want to be treated. And it's a very hard thing to unlearn that natural selfishness. Mm. A very hard thing. Um, We've seen today uh, that the Old Testament really helps us understand Jesus' death. Uh, So do we need to fully understand the Old Testament and be able to explain that to our friends or colleagues or or family to share Jesus with them? Okay, to explain about Jesus and his death, we need to fully understand the Old Testament. 
sure that I fully understand what they're beyond I just have so much to learn. Short answer is no. Mm. A, a child can understand Jesus died in our place so that God will forgive us and we can be friends with him. A child can understand that. What the Old Testament does is give you a fuller and richer kind of three-dimensional understanding of Jesus and what he's done. Mm. I like that quote that we read from 1 Peter about not with silver and gold you are redeemed from the, the, worth, uh, the empty way of life, but with the precious, precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Mm. Now you'll understand that if that's all you've read. But once you've read some of Leviticus and read about the sacrifices and what happened, uh, you go, ah, right. So the more you understand the Old Testament about sacrifices and, and the Messiah and the promises, that, the more black and white will become colour. And two-dimensional becomes three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I put it that way. Mm, okay, cool. Uh, we might have time for well, one at least. At least one more question. Um, how do I know? In what sense I'm a slave? How do I know in what sense I'm a slave? I put it to you that we know the right things that we want to do, and yet we have trouble doing them. And we know the wrong things that we shouldn't do, and yet we keep doing it. And when you put God into the picture, by nature we want to stay away from God, to run from Him, to ignore Him, to not trust Him. They're the elements of being a slave to sin. Mm. And what Jesus says is, if we'll trust Him and find forgiveness, He'll change our hearts so that we actually want to know God and want to obey Him and want to honour Him and, and find life. And you'll still struggle with trying to do the right thing. You, you will. You know, that, 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 it's just kind of the goalposts have moved. Now I want to do the right thing to obey God and trust Him rather than ignore Him. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.